On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with Harry B. Isn't like, you know, obviously we were social media companies and there was some, there was some, there was some point of view that they wanted to do something on social media. So it wasn't that we like sold them on social media, but I think the idea of this character and creating this narrative came from, again, a little bit of ping-ponging. I think the first thing, again, is you need to educate and be talking about the same thing. So, you know, presenting the value of the platform. Um, CCO at, at Havas, the CEO at 88, um, agencies doing amazing stuff uh, with IBM and all sorts of big brands, Louis Vuitton, Peugeot, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. If you missed part one, please go back and hear more about Harry's background and uh, his route to become an entrepreneur and then end up selling that agency uh, here last year. Um, Harry, when we left off on part one, we were talking about this idea of you know the the case studies, the great case studies are not made by following other case studies. And you talked about something that I feel like is a bit of a theme of like diving in and trying stuff. And And in the last episode, you talked about like, kind of taking some baby steps and having some small wins up front. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about this? Like like uh, a couple of different times you talked about analog and how, hey, yeah. everybody's in digital, everybody's pushing digital. You know, it, it sounds like for you, a way to be unexpected, a way to stand out is is to look at ways to do that analog because that's not where everything's crowded out. Can you talk more about that? Great. Yeah. So I think the full plus is, like I said, if you want different outputs, you have to do different inputs. And the value of the different outputs is that that will make you stand out, right? And that's that's the whole core, right? And it's it's an authentic way to stand out. So one of my, like I said, my major in- input is, so I read 20 pages a day. It came from this uh, article I read on Warren Buffett where basically it said he reads two, he basically locks himself in the room, two, reads 200 pages a day, and then comes out and makes his decisions about what he's going to invest in. So I said, if I can do 10% of that every day, I'll be 10% as successful. So I do 20 pages a day uh, of reading a physical book, not off a, a tablet or my phone. Uh, and that's a mix of uh, a lot of nonfiction, a little bit of fiction, but you know, some Eastern philosophy, some some uh so i actually love magazines physical magazines i love hard business review i love Har- uh, harper's um uh then a mix like i said i'll throw in some fiction randomly every once in a while and, and also biographies on famous people what i do is in the morning uh you know usually eastern philosophy type things after i meditate you know you knock out four or five eight pages depending on what's going on then through the day having magazines around five ten pages work their way out and then before i go to sleep i don't begin my day or end my day on my phone i, I gave a half hour before i pick up my phone in the morning and i do a half hour at least a half hour before i go to sleep at night of having my any kind of uh screen in front of me so i, I take that time then again to read super important Second thing is music. My, my relationship with music, I, I love music. It's really, really, really important to me, but it's it's vinyl. Uh, I, I do use Spotify or, or mobile music maybe when I'm traveling or when I'm in a car, um, but I have to be honest, I, I do a lot of podcast listening uh, when I'm driving places and I'm traveling. Music uh, is really about, to me, uh, vinyl. I love the experience of vinyl. I love committing to one 
album. I love oh, I love vintage vinyl. I love album art. I like putting on, committing to one side, letting it play. The action to have to flip it over. It's a way. It's it's way more relaxing to me. Almost the the the, the amount of music and playlists and these like collaging of music that didn't belong together. I think has value. But to me, it's like I like to absorb and it it, it grounds me. And I think those, you know, that reading, you know, reading paper books and listening to vinyl is very grounding, right? And then I enter this world of completely, you know, do, working in digital media, you know, just, I was just earlier today with the, in our experience studio upstairs where we're, we're working with some new uh, VR, AR technologies. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I love and have the passion for that. And I feel like when I come into that room, I, I'm fresh and there and, and I have this, um, you know, this whole philosophy about um, basically creative hydration, right? That like, you know, you get into a room and you're expected to come up with an idea as a creative and you're like, oh my God, I don't have an idea. And it's because you have to hydrate. Like when you're dehydrated, you're already, it's too late, right? Like, you should be hydrating all day and then you'll be able to run and exercise as much as you want. So if you can't have an idea when you need one, that that's too late. You're already dehydrated. So I'm always like creatively hydrating myself. And to me, it's really about analog. Yeah. Okay. So I love this. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Steven Johnson book, Where Good Ideas Come From. And he, he just mm -hmm. goes through history and how often it's somebody goes out into like, he calls it a, li a liquid network, right? Where you're mm -hmm. bouncing into a whole bunch of ideas and then they come back on their own and they work on it and they go out and bounce into a bunch of ideas and and how often that process they end up bumping into the other half of their idea and uh yeah. it, it's fascinating to see it through history but my question for you is let's say somebody's listening they're they're running a department of their company or they're they are an entrepreneur or somebody running something and they're trying to stand out they're trying to take these principles and and come up with something that that is unexpected for the industry. You know, they're trying to come up with a different input compared to their competition so they can have a better output. Can you talk about what this has looked like in your own experience? Like, can you talk about, you know, I heard your story about working with Bloomingdale's. Can you talk about how, I don't know if it was Tumblr or Instagram or, or where you were going with them, but can you, like, can you tell us that story? Or is there a story like that where you can talk about helping a client um, explore something that hadn't been done in their industry? Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I have, wow, um, I have a bunch of case studies, let me try to think. Let's go yeah, through I mean, a couple I mean, of them. Bloomingdale's, again, so when, when I started working at Bloomingdale's, obviously the uh, retail industry was, uh, you know, catalog-based and uh, digital media-based, and this was obviously early on, and, and Bloomingdale's did have an Instagram, but they didn't really have a, a like, you know, I mean, and no one really had, especially at the bigger retailer. I mean, these smaller emerging brands were just all, you know, you know, direct to consumer brands, all these new direct to consumer brands were already like using social media, right. Already you had the Glossiers and these people doing it. We came in, we were like, you know, what's true to your brand? What's your brand truth? And if you're in the history of Bloomingdale's, when they would open a store, it was like a marching band. And it was very celebratory and, and it was a fun, a fun factor of it. So we kind of, our, our lens was fun fashion that they, that they're not, you know, that is a fun point of view. And we, and we basically created a, a, a female character that you didn't know her name and you didn't really see her face who kind of lived the world through fashion in a fun way. And if it rained outside, she was happy because she got to use her purple umbrella. Like she tackled every life challenge through fashion and a fun and fun. And it was like this this kind of subtle narrative that would never get it wasn't so overt that it was like if you didn't catch it, you didn't get it. But it, it but it we started I mean we had like I don't know, we met them, we had like a hundred and 20,000 followers or something. And this is like a pre-algorithm. We grew like 450,000 followers like in like three months. It was just like 
people started being like really, really engaged with the content. They, they really identified with this fun fashion character. It was true to the brand. Like when you go to the store, you could find all these elements, right? Like the, 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 the and also shopping, physical shopping is fun, right? Like that is why you physically shop rather than online shop. Like there is a physical, so it's like, we just kind of found a sweet spot that like resonated with the consumer. And, you know, I always believe that, uh, you know, online and offline, you know, is connected and that in the word social media is social. So socialness needs to be the core, right? The sociality of the idea needs to be as value as the con has to reflect in the content. So that was like a really great win. And you know, we got recognized by Instagram as like best retail use of Instagram. And we did a bunch of really fun things also in Snapchat launch. So it was just like, cause once you started getting wins there, then we started, we, we tackled Snapchat together. And so it was just, again, it was, you know, having a, a strong insight and a point of view. We didn't just like say, we just, okay. Being innovative isn't a point of view. <laughs> like it's understanding there's always going to be a challenge. So we have to acknowledge a challenge together, right? This is the relationship part of you and your client. You and your client have to acknowledge and make sure you're talking about the same challenge, right? A bad client relationship is you guys are talking about two different challenges and the challenge can't be each other. <laughs> the challenge is we're agreeing that we have a challenge as a brand and this challenge was obviously to grow the awareness against the millennial consumer, which is a huge challenge for a lot of lot of company, older companies, not the newer companies who naturally have the, the millennial consumer. So let's agree on that challenge and then I'll we'll work together to come up with ideas to tackle this challenge, right? And that, you know, again, at that time, it was Instagram. So, and diving into this, can you give me those stats again, what they were at before you got them to the 450,000? I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, it was, I, I think it was like, I mean, I have the percentages were like 500% growth every month. So I think it was, I mean, if, again, I'm guessing it was, it was in the hundreds and then we were in the 500s, let's just say. Okay. We, we can follow up if you want, but it was, it was, yeah, it, was, no, it, no. was it was rapid growth. At the point we thought something was broken. Like we called Instagram, we're like, this is, doesn't even make any sense. Like this, is it, and they're like, no, you're just, engagement is really high. Kept like hitting the trending page. It was just one of, you know, you just hit a nerve. Like he was. So, and, and this is what I want to dive into is, um, let's say the client is my boss. You know, maybe I'm not an agency. Maybe I am the CMO and, and the, the client is the CEO or the client is the board of directors, right? Yeah. Um, can you, can you dive in just getting a little bit granular for a minute on kind of what you talked about before of like, if you, if you're looking at drones, you got to get out there and start droning to make a discovery. Yeah. Can you talk about so, so, wading through yeah. and, and just give us a couple of data points on the, like, here's what we thought we were going to do. And then we tried this and then we realized we need to tweak it this way. And that's how we eventually got to this with Bloomingdale's. Yeah. So I think the thing was, yeah, the thing wasn't like, you know, obviously we were social media companies and there was some, there was some, there was some point of view that they wanted to do something on social media. So it wasn't that we like sold them on social media, but I think the idea of this character and creating this narrative came from, again, a little bit of ping ponging. I think the first thing again is you need to educate and be talking about the same thing. So, you know, presenting the value of the platform uh, and why you're doing it. I think that is always the first stage and, uh, and a quick of like droning versus not droning is I use, I didn't do this at Bloomingdale's. I definitely did it. Uh, I'm thinking of the client right now, but we basically actually like I did an Instagram. I took them out and said, here's how you take photos on your phone. And like, you know, kind of said, Oh, you know, photography is about finding a, a moment of light, finding color, using you know finding structure it's a square and i actually like taught them about instagram right and then once they like learned how to take digital you know uh, you know phone, mobile photography mm. and then uploading it they were more excited about instagram and then we were able to sell it and that was a big win because a lot of uh at that time uh you know they weren't even cmos they were like digital officers or head of 
social couldn't get their CEOs to understand why they're investing in this new platform. So my thing was like, once Instagram is so much fun, like let's just have them use, instead of like a deck about like, wild, oh, Gen Z is using Instagram. It's like, everyone likes Instagram. Like, right, just let's use Instagram with them. Like, let's, let's you, okay, we did a, okay, Snapchat lens. This, this is a good example. So uh, Snapchat lenses were trending. We, we did a lot of work with Snapchat. We were a Snapchat uh, preferred vendor. There was 16 globally and the 88 was one of them. So for Bloomingdale's, um, it was going into holiday and we knew the budget and, you know, we were doing a social campaign and basically we had this lens idea and the lens was, uh, around, um, uh, uh, about sleigh. We were playing with the word sleigh, obviously Santa Claus is on a sleigh. And then also the word sleigh when it, when it, it applies to looking in fashion, you're slaying, you're looking great. So we wanted to play off those words. And uh, we had this idea of having a, like, doing a, a lens for Snapchat. So the budget came, and it was literally, like, five times our budget. Like, it was just out of the question. So we go in, me, 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 me and JP, my client, go into the, to, to the head of the CMO, and we're like, we pitch the idea. We, we show him what lenses are. And, you know, because obviously you just have your phone, right? It's, I mean, this is the easiest thing to do. It's like, this, this, you don't have to go anywhere. You know, like, you just show him your phone. And he's like, that's cool. And he bought the idea. Like, he just thought it was cool. And then he bought this idea. We're like, we looked at each other in the room. We were, we were even shocked that we bought the idea. I mean, Frank is awesome and always supports innovation. So it wasn't the innovative part. It was that it was going to cost a huge portion of a budget during the most aggressive year. Again, it was like the most engaged le uh, lens during retail, during holiday season that year. It blew up because... We, we all had that moment together where it was like this, I can't explain it. It's like in the room when you're physically doing, like clients need to experience ideas. Like, like, like we, a creative person has an abstract idea when you have this vision, you need to translate that to someone who doesn't have that vision. Even it could be another creative person. It could be a CEO. It could be a CCO. It could be a CMO. And they could also have be creative, but if they don't understand it and experiencing things, right? Like experiencing playing with things, um, is really powerful in those moments. You know, so I love so many things about that story. One is that it sounds like Macy's and Saks and Neiman Marcus weren't already doing this and you guys were saying, oh, we better have one too like them. But the other yeah. thing is um, it just makes me think about this idea of how much humans we like to buy things that we like and how yes. we don't like to be sold. Like um, it almost feels like oh. being sold something is almost like threatening our agency, like someone won over us, right? Yes. You know, there's this great story in um, the Stanford professor, Chip Heath and his brother Dan uh, wrote some great books like Made to Stick and, and Decisive. But in their book, Switch, they talk about a guy who was trying to get all the executives in their industrial company to change the way things get ordered because they were wasting money. And he could have just put it on an Excel spreadsheet and brought it to the board meeting like everybody would have expected. But instead, he dramatized it and he got a big table downstairs and he brought in every pair of gloves across the company that was being purchased. And mm -hmm. he put the price tags that people had paid for them. And many times, like the same pair of gloves, one department had paid $4 for, one department paid $9 for, one department paid $14 for the same pair of gloves. And... There's this heaping stack of gloves and, and he just had the executives come down and walk around the table and look at, look at the gloves that we buy at this company. And yeah. people were just like, oh my gosh, we can't do this anymore. This isn't, this, this is ridiculous. This is, this is crazy. We have got to be better. This has got to change. And instead of him, like you said, having a deck and trying to convince people and essentially sell them on his idea, he gave them this, this experience and almost like the, um, 
almost like the respect to come to their own conclusion after their own experience. And like, it was almost like he saw himself as like the educator and, and had some faith that they would, that he wasn't smarter than them, that they come to the same conclusion kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I call that focus group. Of, I always go, guys, let's stop focus group of one. What do you think? Like, I always go like, we're going to like, like my thing is humans are actually all made of the same things, right? Like emotionally, we're made of the same emotions, right? And we're and, and in general, are pretty much attracted instinctually to a lot of the same things, right? It's like, so the point is I always, I call it the focus group of one. Like I'll be in a room and obviously I do believe in focus group and data and I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen, but I, I, I don't like when we go so far away from the people in the room. And greatness is made, I, I stop sometimes and go, guys, what I say when someone goes that great, dude, how did they do that? I go, it was people like us in a room that did that. Like we're all humans, right? So let's just, <laughs> let's look at each other and I was like, focus number one, how do you feel about this? How do you, do you like this? Like, oh, well, no, no, you, like, how do you feel? And they're like, like I, I, a big thing for me, I always say to someone like, am I creatives here? Like, am I laughing? Am I crying? Am I going, oh, sh like simple, that's the first thing. Like, like that is it. When you present me an idea, like, yeah, inside innovation craft, I have my, you know, the things I look for in people is happy, hungry, curious. Like those are just entry level. But in a meeting, like, are you like, is it, are you laughing? Are you crying? Meaning not being sad, but be emotive. Is it, is it creating emotion for you? Or are you like, oh, shit, that's so cool. Like if I can't get a reaction, if we're not getting a reaction, our consumer isn't, right? So it's like, let's, we, we are, you need to kind of find your consumer target and Gen Z, Gen X group. And like, yes, there is a huge ecosystem that I, 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 I play in and we talk about it and had four meetings today about it. But at the end, it's like the gut. And, I, and that's, a, you know, I love traveling and I watch families and I'm like, why is that person wearing Nikes? Why is that person wearing Under Armour? Why is that person drinking Starbucks? Why is that person? Like, I look at them and I'm like, I'm, fee I'm, I'm absor I absorb a lot. And I think the challenge I do have with social media and I started a social community company and I'm so true to it is that if you're looking at your phone all the time, like you're not experiencing the world and experience doing things, you know, human interaction, physicality to me is the, is the greatest advantage. And what I would say to the person is like, I'm not saying you should start a farmer's market. I'm not saying you have to read 20 pages a day, but like, what is you? Like you are the factor that's different. Like the five well, people in the I, room, that's what makes everything different. Yeah, but I feel like this goes exactly back to what you're saying of, you know, the greatest case studies are not made by following the the previous case studies, right? Yeah. Um, the idea of if you want to stand out where millions and, you know, some cases billions of people are online, you know, getting your inspiration from everything that's online already is you're giving the same inputs, right? How, and yes. like you said, if, if you want different outputs, it takes different inputs. And like, you know, I'm looking at an Instagram pitch of yours from last year where you're uh, giving a speech and there's a big thing on, on the front that says, uh, on the slide, it says the biggest enemy is mediocrity. And yeah, I oh think about God. your point of case studies or sorry, of focus groups and how often like Yes, there's some validation. Yes, we need to uh, be smart enough to get go out and get reactions to our stuff. But yeah. if we, you know, by definition, if we go out and ask huge masses of folks, things get watered down to the average. And if mm -hmm. mediocrity is the enemy, then you know, while there, you know, there's a there's a balance beam of, you know, being too egotistical on one side and not accepting any feedback. To me, it I feel like as humans, as herd animals. We have so much more of a temptation to fall off the other side of the balance beam of not enough people approved of my concept that they haven't actually experienced yet. I guess we yes. shouldn't go so bold. 
Um, <laughs> can you, t can you, you know, and I know we've only got a few minutes left for the episode, but yeah. can you, can you talk about this, uh, this, uh, the biggest enemy is mediocrity? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, again, I, it sounds so, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like, like a, like a, like a Hallmark card, but it's like, you know, I think it's like, you know, the internal reflects the external. And it's like, I, you know, hungry, happy, curious are my three. Those are my, those are my principles that I live by. And it's like, you know, to me, it's like happiness is about optimism, collaboration. Right. And it's like, the second one is the hunger and drive and the last is curiosity. And what those three things mean is that like, I am though, when I'm following those three things, I don't end up in the middle and this me mediocre to me, it's like subpar. I have something to learn success. I have something to celebrate mediocrity in the middle is like purgatory. It's like, that is not where I want to end up. So, you know, can, you know, and, and I have to be honest, I, I, to me, it's the most uncomfortable. It's more uncomfortable than failure because failure is, is a huge learning is always the best learnings, right? Like that when you hit a wall, you got to stop now and say, why did I hit this wall? And you look around, and you're like, oh my God, I, you know, I was driving with a blindfold on. Like you at least figure that out. But the mediocrity thing is I, I don't accept it. And that, that is, that is my biggest fear. Um, and I, and, and I just, you know, I constantly drive and I, and, and, and I haven't really talked about who you surround yourself with, but you know, we are, I like when you said herd animals, you know, creating your herd. Another big thing is like, who are your peers? Who are your mentors? And who are your mentees is how I judge a person, right? Like, you know, you can kind of see what, what their circle is to really realize because if they're surrounded by a bunch of media, like what you understand, what you understand mediocre to be and what success and failure is, is against this circle, right? So if you have a mediocre circle, you could be like the best mediocre person. You know, I pride myself in trying to really surround myself with people that have a very high standard of success. You know, so that, well, that's super important. Okay, I, I love this. Can you can you think of an example of, you know, over the last twenty years, some campaign where you you got ambitious and you had a lot of vision and then you hit the wall? Oof. Wow. I know I'm putting you on the so spot hard. if there's not one that comes to mind, but no, no, no. I'm trying to think. I mean, I could, I mean, I could talk about things. I could talk about a personal project. So we we tried to. We, okay, I was obsessed with hashtags. So this is a personal project. This is a project that we did at the 88. So I got a developer at the 88. I'm like, I'm going to develop something. So I was obsessed with hashtags, and everyone's launching hashtag campaigns, and I'm like, everyone's putting a hashtag now instead of a tagline. So how are we measuring hashtags? Obviously, like you could see how many uses, but how much information was in the data. And this is like pre, obviously, uh, Facebook really getting more tight after all the challenges around the election. So you couldn't do it now. But back then, you could find location through hashtags, uh, who the people were friends with, uh, popularity of posts. So I, I'm like, we're going to create this service called Tagregator, which would aggregate tags, hashtags, and you could find information about it, right? You could find so you could find out, like, if you were hashtag running, you could find out people that did posts about running around you. And on a map, it'd be like, wow. And you could meet people through running or popularity. Who's the be who's got the, mo the best photo around running? Or who's got, who's, the most, who's got the most famous, like, what friends like that photo? So I thought, like, this is going to be the coolest thing. I invest my own money in it. I'm a tagregator. I start showing it to clients. They're like, Harry, I don't what, – what, what, what are we going to do with this? I'm like, well, dude, we can create contests. You always do these contests with little hashtags, but now we can find more information. They're like, but the contests are working, Harry. Like, this is – you're like over – I kind of – I overcomplicated something that was like – they're like, we put in this hashtag. We're growing a hashtag. Growing a hashtag is enough, and people – when we do a, a contest back then or a hashtag, people are taking photos. And the whole point is just to get our photos out. Harry, you told us. It's like the whole idea is that like peer-to-peer -peer is important, and we're getting our peer-to-peer. -peer. We don't need to know all this other information and do people 
people care about it? Like, I, I feel like it's like, I always call myself a nowist, where it's like, I'm not a futurist. I'm usually in the now and grounded and I can present ideas that are in the now. But this one, I think I just, I just got like a year too far ahead of myself or something. And, and I basically wasted, I mean, it wasn't a huge investment, but it was like some time and some money, but it was like, people literally looked at it and, and I didn't lose a relationship. But some people were like, Harry, I think you've kind of, you're, you're overcomplicating this one. And it, it was, the project just kind of died and, and but we made an app and we, and I invested in it and it just didn't work. Sure. Um, and just in our last minute here, having had that experience, what kind of questions do you ask yourselves now or, or how have like, how have you integrated that into being smarter as you're now making your decisions? So that's, this is the, your creative tribe idea, which is you need to have peers uh, that you trust that you, that you since trust is super important. I suggest you have at least three. I have six that usually if I'm going to make a move creatively on something like that, that I usually run by them and I definitely trust them. And they're in different parts of the world. They have different creative practices and they give me, they, 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 they give me their honest opinion. So I, back then it was all my employees and I have to be honest, not to my employees, but everybody, like everybody, I was just so energized in the office and I just got, I believe so everyone believed it wasn't that it was yes people. It's just like, I was so impassioned, but I'm like, this idea is so fucking awesome guys. It was like, it was like, yeah, this is awesome. But like, you need that people who aren't in the office with you, who are not always around you that you kind of ping, who will give you the honest opinion. And I think, you know, we, you said it, we are, we are pack, we are pack animals. We were in tribes. Like you need your, you need your board. Right. And it's not about everybody always looks for a mentor, my mentor, my mentor. I love the peers, the peers that I trust that I can be honest with and I, they inspire me. I inspire them and we can ch- keep each other in check. I love it. Well, uh, thanks for making time for, uh, for being on the show. Great. I, I, dude, I was really excited to talk. And like I said, I, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your other podcasts and any way I can support, let me know. Yeah. So everybody, uh, check out Harry's stuff on Instagram. It's Harry B, just the letter B at Harry B. And, uh, and, uh, this is great. Thanks so much, man. Have a wonderful day. You bet. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.